Hello, everyone, and welcome into debate night yet again. We got I'm Hunter joined by Brody Silas in the production booth. One of our last episodes of this format. If you haven't heard, we're switching up the show. Um, going in, Trevor's gonna be coming in as the host. We're gonna have a four person, four analyst roundtable discussions about different topics. Um, gonna be a, a pretty pretty exciting change in my opinion. That'll be happening at the turn of the new year. So you got this week and next week. Pretty much is it. I mm-hmm. think of this format. Most likely, um, am. Yeah, so pretty exciting stuff. Uh, we're very excited about the change. I think it'll be a good, a breath of fresh air. Almost take us back to what the show was originally supposed to be in a lot of ways. Yeah, it kind of got, you know, it just kind of got stale there. People stopped calling in. People stopped wanting to have, you know, actual debates about certain topics, which is kind of nuts because, like, right now, obviously, with the landscape of disc golf, there's a lot of things to have differing opinions on. but. I think this show will be I think this will be the future. I think this will be this will be a good change of pace and I think it will allow for good discussion on multiple topics across the board. Yeah, absolutely. Um but with that being said, we still have got a pretty good show today. Uh quite a bit of stuff to talk yes. about considering it's the off season. Um it seems like this off season's been busy in a different way. Uh I actually want to start off the show with the you know more people have come out announcing they're leaving their sponsors. Mm-hmm. This off season has been a trend unlike any other off season before. I feel like where everyone's announcing they're leaving well before they announce like where they're going. Before mm-hmm. a lot of times that was like the same post or just like boom boom. I'm assuming that everyone's going to make us wait till January to announce. Do you think this is like just strictly a marketing play where players are like because realistically we're, we're going to talk through a few different players here that we probably wouldn't make a big deal of if they hadn't announced they're leaving and then we don't know where they're going yet. Do you think it's strictly marketing or do you think it's because their contract runs up in January and the company they're currently with is like, hey, you can announce you're leaving, but you can't say the word where you're going until your contract's up? Yeah, I mean, I think this is probably the the way it should be done. Uh, I think in the past, we definitely have seen some people that like break their contract and like yeah. jump ship to somewhere else. And so then there's like this, I'm leaving this, I'm going here. I, I think too, we might, we might be seeing more on the business side of things now versus like having it feel like a family or feeling like, like a high school team um, of where you're like, Oh, I'm so sad to leave this company. And it's like, it, it, there is that one thing, there is a way of saying it where it's like, I was very happy with my time at so-and-so, but now I'm going here. And and let's be honest. The only reason you're really leaving your sponsorship, there, there's a couple reasons, right? The first one being they did not want to resign you for whatever reason. The next one is you got offered more money somewhere else. Or the third one is they weren't giving you outside of money. They weren't giving you what you needed or what you wanted. And someone else was willing to offer you that. Those are like the only three real reasons. I can't think of another reason why you would leave a sponsor. So if that's happening, then obviously there is a little bit, not animosity, but there obviously is a little bit of a like, hey, you weren't willing to pay for how much I'm worth. This company is deuces. And I think we're seeing less of the 
Yeah, we're still seeing it a little bit, but we're seeing it, I guess, less of like where you're feeling bad about leaving. And I think a lot of this has to do too with like the fan bases that we've talked about in the past of where players don't want to piss off these fan bases that love a certain brand when they go and they're hoping that they kind of follow them. And I think as players get more marketable, as the sport continues to grow, you're going to see more fans that are fans of players and not fans of manufacturers or companies. And so then they can say like, Hey, I'm, I'm leaving this company. I'm going here. And it doesn't necessarily, they don't have to like tiptoe around, like not pissing off the company's fans that they're leaving. If that makes sense, because it's not, it's not a, it's not the same as like the NFL of where, you know, or, or rather, like the most famous one is like LeBron, right? When LeBron left Cleveland and went to Miami, you know, he pissed off a whole fan base of yeah. Cavalier fans, right? And so it, it, it's not the same as that. But I think this is probably what we'll start seeing more of of players announcing or even just announcing like, hey, I'm in the, my contract's up. I'm, yeah. I'm 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 open to hear new ideas and new offers, you know. Well, I think that's where cuz it would be weird for a player to post that on Instagram, right? Like it would be weird if I'm like, it'd be to post m- like hey, yes. my contract's up. I'm I'm looking, but I think that's where it, eventually it it won't be weird of like that being leaked. Like, or or us or you know media companies essentially getting wind that someone isn't happy with how their contract is and yeah. their their names being shopped around. That's you know? what I'm saying. It's like if yes. I'm if I'm a if I'm one of the managers of one of these players, right? And I know like the player obviously is up with their contract. I'm trying to reach out to different companies, whatever. I don't know. Obviously, you'd have to look through the legality of stuff, but that's where like negotiation wise, it might be in their best interest to to slip out like so and so's been offered you know, a million dollars over four years from Innova, but signs are pointing they're not sure if they're going there. Because then if I'm Prodigy and I just missed that player and I'm like, oh, shoot, well, we're willing to pay 1.5 over four years. You know, obviously that negotiation goes on behind the scenes, but once you have like a little bit of public pressure, I think that's what we're seeing, obviously, in other industries. And I think as disc golf grows and there's more and more interest in in this, um, that'll start to happen. But I think you're also right in the sense of like, manufacturers aren't the fan base of manufacturers aren't the same as like the Laker fan base or the Cleveland fan base or because you have player you have fans like me where I enjoy watching players. I like mm-hmm. watching Luka Doncic. I like watching Steph Curry. You know, I like watching Klay Thompson. I used to be a big LeBron fan. Um, but after the first jump to Miami, I didn't really like him that much. Um, but play, fans like me, I'm more likely like if Steph Curry were to leave the Warriors and go to the Celtics, I also am a Jason Tatum fan, I'd be like, oh, sick, I'll watch the Celtics now. I'm not a loyal team fan. But if I lived in Golden State, um, chances are I'm going to be a loyal team fan. And if Steph Curry leaves me, then deuces, you know, I'm I'm done with that player. Screw Steph, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Now I hate him. I'm going to burn his jerseys or whatever. Uh, I don't think that happens in disc golf as much anymore. Um, I think the player that really broke the stigma, in, in my opinion, was Paul. When Paul mm-hmm. left Innova, I think before that was going on is like players who were at Innova were getting like uh, 
I don't know what the word is, but increased popularity because they were throwing the same stuff as Paul. So like fans were obviously drawn to Innova. It it still is, I think, one of the first uh, plastic people get in their hands. And Mm -hmm. then you see the top players in the world are throwing it. So I think what was happening, it was a little bit misconstrued possibly where if a player left Innova and went somewhere, it felt like the fans they had didn't follow them, but it's because the fans of will just pick a random player like Calvin Heimberg. He obviously didn't leave Innova. The fans of Calvin Heimberg were bigger fans of Paul. And so Calvin leaves and goes to DD or wherever, right? Back then, he didn't do that, but we're just using it as an illustration. But I'm still a bigger fan of Paul. So I'm not changing my bag and like, yeah, I still like Calvin. I'll watch him, but I'm not transferring my bag. Versus then Paul left Innova and he brought the majority of his fan base with him to where you saw this huge shift in the market where people you know, stopped throwing Innova and started throwing Discraft. I think that's when people realized like, hey, I'm the one that's valuable in this relationship in a lot of ways. Like, if I market myself and I get a big enough fan base of me, not of the company that I throw, then I'm the one that's valuable. And when I leave and go to DD or when, you know, when Ricky leaves Latitude and went to Innova, then I'm bringing a fan base with me versus I'm coming into the Innova fan base and Innova fans are going to rejoice that I'm here type thing. Yeah, no, exactly. So it's, it's definitely been... Like I said, interesting to see the the switch like we've talked about. And I think the other thing that we'll see too is we, you know, the big thing lacking in disc golf right now is just media, right? Like conversations, articles, interviews, all these things that normally flood your timeline in other sports. I mean, it is, you know, I just, I made a tweet the other day saying like, hey, who... Who posts about disc golf? Who's like who's who's talking about disc golf? I want to follow them. I want to like add them to my thing so I can my disc golf timeline so that way I can go on there and kind of just see what's going on. And it's, you know, outside of like players like we talked about like posting stuff on their actual social media feeds, you know, there's very little information coming in from because uh, again, you don't really necessarily have the managers, the agents that you do in other sports where they are looking to try to get their clients' names out in the news to tell people what's going on. We'll see if that changes. I think that changes as, you know, it's kind of a chicken and egg thing, right? Like as more fans come into disc golf, more people are going to want that information. But at the same time, like that information doesn't come out unless there's more fit. It's, yeah. it's, it's a tough situation of like, I don't know. It's, it's a tough situation because yeah, if someone was like, you know what? I want to, I want to, I'm going to create a disc golf mecca, like media company. And like, they start going out and writing articles and talking to players and stuff. Like they're going to find very quickly that there's not that much money there just because yeah. of the amount of people that are going to be watching or listening or whatever. It's just not that much money, but it's like, Unfortunately, like you kind of have to start doing that at some point. So we'll yeah. see. Well, also, because like right now, I think disc golf media is a reactionary thing where like a lot of times the first time um, you hear about something is when the public hears about it. Like mm-hmm. there's very few press releases and stuff that goes on. There are some, but there's very few that, that go on behind the scenes. And so a lot of times, like when a player announces they're switching, that's the first time a lot of the media hears about it. To where like I have a lot of post notifications and stuff turned on so that 
the second a player announces, or a lot of times you'll hear wind or you'll know an announcement's coming, but you can't talk about it. So you're just waiting for the announcement to come so that the second it happens, I can like tweet about it. And then, you know, that tweet can pick up traction, whatever, but it gives you at least something to talk about. But a lot of times, like until something actually happens, there's nothing media wise to talk about because you're just like sitting there twiddling your thumbs. Like, well, I know this is supposed to happen eventually. Like I, I know several things that are supposed to be announced, but like, gotta wait we'll see yeah, what they're announced out. you just gotta wait it out and then you can't really talk about it till the public knows but there are you know there's there are different accounts you can follow and stuff to where instead of having to follow every pros account and every pro tour account and all this you can just follow like one or two you know twitter accounts or whatever and then know if something big happens you're going to hear about it yeah um and that's kind of the purpose the media serves right now but i think like you're saying is as the sport gets bigger then the media can serve that purpose and be able to give you a little more extra information, like another layer deeper. And that's what's Correct. not really there right now. Yeah. So yeah, so uh, four, okay. four players. Yeah, four players yeah. basically announced that they are leaving. Yeah, Scott, we have Scott Withers, James Proctor, Maria Oliva, and Erica Stinchcomb um, since last week. Because last week we talked about AB. He had, he had announced before... Mm-hmm. Uh, debate night. He hadn't announced before Griplock. Do you those those four have come out since the last filming debate night? Do you want because we didn't even talk about necessarily AB? Do you want to guess why they're leaving? Because I think I think AB's leaving because he wanted. My guess with AB is he wanted more money or he wanted a bigger contract, and it was like no. Yeah, I think that's a fun game to play. I think so. What I like to do is just read the caption. So I'm starting with James Proctor. Representing Innova and having those wings on my back was always a dream of mine. I'm very grateful for all the support I received over the last three years. He was only sponsored by him for three years. There's no shot. That being said, I'll be moving on to a different direction for 2023. I'm super excited for what's ahead. I think that's a... I think he got a bigger contract. Better elsewhere. better offer. Yeah. I also... Because I, I remember he won collegiate nationals back in the day, way back in the day. And I saw an in the bag and I could have swore he was on Team Innova. And that wasn't three years ago. See, I was like when I was he might have been, in college. He might have been like throwing Innova, but not like sponsored on their. Or maybe he like was on their like a low like ambassador team. team or something. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm saying I'm saying that James Proctor got a better deal elsewhere. Yep. Scott Withers, I'm struggling to put into words how much these cut last couple of years with Discraft have changed my career for the better. The relationships we have built and the places I have gone will never be forgotten. I want to extend a big thank you to Bob Julio and Yuli for the ch- taking a chance on me and showing that I do have a platform to do great things in our game. In the last couple of years, we put thousands of Discraftists in the hands of Northwest players and ran countless events, hopefully leaving the region in a better spot than it was before. With that said, I'll be moving on to new things for 2023 and beyond. Thank you, Discraft, Bob, and the rest of the crew for everything you've done. That's Scott Withers deciding to leave. Yeah, he's, in my opinion. Yeah, he's an interesting one too with with the resistance disc and stuff of where he's hand in hand with that. And that's Yeah. That was a discraft only store. Yeah. That'll be so interesting to see kind of what that, ends up that one up will there. be an interesting one just just to kind of see the play there. Yeah. Um now the next player that announced blanking. Um You want to do Maria or Erica? Maria. I actually haven't read um, her post. I just saw it on. Um... Okay, here we go. Despite she talked about a tournament that she had played, the Trophy Club Open. 
then said, despite how much fun I had playing this wonderful event ran by Dynamic Disc Carrollton, it's very bittersweet. After five years with Innova, I've decided to part ways and start my 2023 season fresh. Being a part of Team Innova was a dream of mine for a long time, and I'm so grateful to have had a chance to realize it with them. With their help, I was able to tour with a little more stability on the road. And for that, I'm forever grateful. Thank you for everything. Innova, all things considered, I'm beyond excited and honored to represent new sponsors next year. Stay tuned for announcements soon. And again, thank you everyone for unwavering support. So I would say with her, she probably out of the four people we've listed here, she probably has like the last year probably did the most for her. Yeah. You know, I think, I think James obviously is a player that can compete you know, if he has a good tournament, he can he can compete for the win. But I think he's done that in the past. It wasn't just like he jumped on the the stage last year. And I yeah. think Scott, I think Scott obviously toured more last year than he did previously. But Maria is really someone that probably increased her stock the most last year. I believe it was. Is it U.S. Women's? Is that the name of the? I, the one that the one that is not USCGC is it US throw Women's pink. Major? There's throw pink. The other major is US Women's. US throw Women's. Pink's the A tier that goes with US. Yeah, not that one. So it's it's okay, US, US Women's. Women. The one that the one that they played by themselves that weekend. Uh, she was like in the running to win that thing, and yeah. I think she's been you know in the running at a couple tournaments. So I think her stock out of the four players has increased the most. She's also pretty pretty active on social media, so I'm sure she has some sort of a decent following there as well. So that again is one of those where I I think a lot of times with Innova or the 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 vibe that we've gotten with Innova a lot is like if they if you are one of their like pieces to their puzzle, they'll do what it takes to keep you yeah. kind of thing. But if they feel like you go a little bit above asking what they think is fair or whatever, they're completely fine with saying goodbye. So I think with her, yeah, I think with her, I think it's probably very similar to the other people that have left Innova where it's just like my stock is raised and Innova was probably like, we'll sign you for the same deal that we signed you before. And they're probably like, I know. Yeah, it definitely it, it, seems like Innova's Innova definitely seems like the company that's like they think they're on the right side of history and they might be when it comes to player contracts. Like they they seem to be the ones that are like we know or at least from the outside looking in, it seems like they're like we know what a player's worth and if you can go get more than what we're saying you're worth elsewhere, by all means go do it. You know, and they to me just I get this vibe that like Innova Innova thinks that players are being overpaid everywhere else and they're okay with letting it happen because they think we're going to be on the right side of history when it all said and done and collapses. Well, there's two, there's two things here, two things to break down. The first one is I think a player's worth changes depending on what company they're at. So if you're Innova, that doesn't really necessarily do that much for players in the sense of they're not creating an insane amount of content. They're not really, you know, making a ton of discs with players names on they're not really doing the uh, they're not really using their players as much as they could right they're yeah. they're basically saying we don't want to spend that much money to market these players we want them to kind of 
all the players that they have right now, the big ones, right, that they're probably paying a lot of money, they have some other way outside of Innova to market themselves. Yeah. And so a player like that, so you take, you know, let's use Maria, for example. I can't, I can't think anything other than maybe a post or two that Innova did with Maria of like, congratulations. I'm trying, I'm blanking. She's not in any commercials. She's not. Not that I know of, no. I'm, I'm sure yeah, she has I, a I disc her, or two. Her, I'm sure she has a disc, disc but yeah, but, but even that really pushing it hard. So like someone like her, you know, if she leaves there and goes to another company that is more bought in on promoting her and building her and marketing her, her value at that company, I think, is going to be higher, right? So yeah. I think that's where Innova's at. It's like they ha- they have their company set the way that they have it. And you look at like a dynamic disc who's like the ex- the absolute flip side who markets everyone and puts everyone in videos and puts money behind everyone, their value there is going to be different than their value there. So the other thing I wonder too is do you think these do you think players are locking in contracts or or at least like verbally having offers somewhere else before they part ways. I certainly hope so. Because like to me, I I would I'd be surprised if they didn't at least have like shopped around already and like mm-hmm. have some type of verbal Get agreement an idea. Like, I I just feel like that would be terrifying to me cuz like you you're in the current disc golf landscape. If you're if you Realistically, if you're a top player, and by top I mean probably like top 30, the majority of your income and livelihood is coming from your sponsor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like once you, like, if you're the, like, grinding it out on tour level, the majority of your income is coming from what you make at tournaments and you're hoping you make enough to get to the next tournament. But once you get to where you're, like, living comfortably on tour, in the current disc golf landscape, that's from a sponsor right now. And so if you're a player who is able to tour and you're, you know, doing okay, surely you're not just risking that you're going to be able to like someone's going to match it because like what if like i'm with innova innova's paying me 30 grand a year plus tour series discs and i'm like no i'm worth 75 plus tour series discs and they're like no you're not and i'm like all right fine and i make a post like i'm leaving innova and then i go out and find that i'm only worth 10 plus tour series discs everywhere <laughs> else then like you're risking a lot that you're, is true i mean you're betting on yourself, sure, but you're also risking everything because, like, Enema's not going to take you back. You just announced you left them. So then you go out and you find out you're only worth 10 plus tour series discs to everyone else, or everyone else has already signed up their team and they're like, hey, we'd love to have you for 2024, but for 2023, we've already spent our budget. And you're just like, go and open bag and we're going <laughs> to hope I play well next year. Like, it, it's a, that's yeah. a big risk, I think. I'm hoping that they, I, I'd be surprised if they didn't have something lined up. And if they don't, they are much more bold than me. Yeah, true. Let's let's uh, talk real quick. I want to talk real quick about the final. Well, I got to read the- uh, Erica Erica's. Oh, post. oh yeah, yeah. That's sorry, the sorry, final one. sorry, uh, sorry. This one I think is the most obvious. Oh, but well, I'll read it. Erica said, "I'm saddened to announce that I'll no longer be representing Westside Discs. These last five years on Team Westside helped me get to where I am today. Westside has been my only disc manufacturing sponsor, and I believe my time with them was both valuable and meaningful." I tell people every day that I have the best job in the world. This was a sudden and disappointing surprise, but I have faced larger hurdles than this. One of my greatest strengths is perseverance. This is a logistical setback, but more importantly, 
a chance for growth. I see opportunities for expansion and new passion projects. I'll be on tour full-time next year with exciting sponsorship announcements to come. Thank you to every single person who supported me in my time with Westside. I hope my future efforts will keep you engaged. The tour of America shall go on. Uh, America, duh, Hunter. Disc golf's the best thing in my life, and I'm honored to be part of the sport. That seems like she didn't expect to be dropped off the team and mostly got dropped, at least to me. That, yeah, it's a no-brainer. Because he said it's a sudden and disappointing surprise and a logistical setback, which to me means she didn't go. She was not wanting that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So and and, it will be interesting to see. And what, some, what of these other, some of these other posts, they might have done a little bit better job of, you know, camouflaging what actually ended up happening. Yeah. So it's, t- it's tough to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think. I think you're not only going to have, I mean, that, you're not only going to have people like fighting to try to win tournaments and try to win more money and try to win points to get into the tour championship, but you're also, you know, you now realistically like people realize there is a certain numbers of, of, of sponsored players out there. So you also have people that are going to be vying for sponsorship deals too. Like, I don't know. I love that. I love the competition. Yeah. And, and I, and I don't want to like, you know, I don't, I know people hate when I compare it to golf, but like golf is so, if you really break it down, golf is so cutthroat. It is such a, like there are people on playing on the PGA tour that within a year or two might be having to find a different job because yeah. they just aren't able, like they're good enough to play a couple events, but they're just not good enough to make a living out of it. And it's just a cutthroat sport. And to me, obviously it's a little bit different with like the money we're talking about in disc golf, because there are just a lot of people that you would consider like good at disc golf, but don't necessarily like have a lifestyle that you would be like, Oh, that, that lifestyle matches how good they are at the sport. Mm -hmm. You need the cutthroatness. You need, you need the fact of like, you know, I I don't know. It is. But I think you competition know. drives it. Like like having yes. having competitiveness in every aspect, and like where you feel like you're fighting for and earning what you have. It it makes you a, in my opinion, it makes you more proud and more likely to keep what you have. Like like when you earn that sponsorship, and you feel like, wow, I worked my tail off to earn it. Then you're. It, it's like when you work really hard all summer and then you finally buy something and it's nice i feel like then i'm more likely to try to keep it nice versus like someone just hands it to me and i feel like eh, i didn't really yeah. just, i didn't really earn it like sponsorship nowadays like if you earn that top tier sponsorship i feel like you're now driven to keep it because you know how hard it how hard it was to get it and then you know how quickly you can lose it to where like like you're saying it's it, it, it sounds bad when you say it but it's a good thing, in my opinion, that it's le- the sport's less buddy-buddy than before. Because like, you, you'd be like, oh, no, we want the sport to always like, be friends. But, but, but on the business side, like, it being less buddy-buddy, I think, is much better for the sport because it pushes the sport. It's pushing the top level of the sport. It's pushing the people in 20th, 30th, 40th to be like, hey, get your act together or you're not going to have a Tour Series disc next year. Whereas before, I'd like to see the numbers on like, who had a tour series disc had an awful crap year and had a tour series disc in the next year. 
Like, I don't think that's something that's going to keep happening. Whereas like right now, I feel like that's a very common thing that happens. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk real quick. World cup. I probably, you know, we probably won't talk about soccer for another four years. So gotta, gotta get it in now. That final was unbelievable. Insane. And the question is, is does, does soccer or football, does, does it have one of the worst overtimes? Because from my perspective, I love shootouts. I love penalty shootouts. So I love like when hockey goes to shootouts. I love when soccer goes to shootouts. And I think I understand why they do it because a sport like a, I mean, baseball is one of those, but it's like, they don't really have like, what are you going to do? Whoever hits a home run, like baseball is in the same category of like how, how low scoring it can be. So I understand if you're like soccer and you're just like, we're just going to keep playing 15 minute halves until the score ends kind of thing. I could see how that could take a while. Same with hockey, right? There's not a lot of scoring in those sports where in basketball and overtime, you're just like, we're going to play 15 minutes extra or five minutes extra. And then whoever has more points at the end wins. Like that normally kind of works itself out. But if you're doing a world cup final, like I did see a lot of people saying like that was one of the worst ways of deciding that game because that game was so ridiculous that all of a sudden you go to the shootout. So I can't, I can see both sides of why some people like it and not. And I get to with the shootouts, you know, some people are saying you're kind of flipping a coin of like, does the goalie just guess the right direction to block it? What is your take? Do you like, do you like the shootouts? I do. Yeah. Well, first off, I'm gonna say that's all I wanted for USA versus England is I wanted, I wanted that shot of going, going to the, going extra time and then going penalty shootouts. That's all I wanted. The tie, the tie is brutal. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of the tie. I'm not a fan of the tie. It sucks. And people think I I don't don't know why there's the point of a tie. I why are there the ties the in the tie. NFL? I still don't even understand why we have ties in the NFL. Ties in the that's, NFL make even less sense because it's an American sport. Like, that's crazy people, to me too. Because like, soccer, I get why there's ties. I get that like during the regular season, it's a points-based league. A tie is not worth as much as a win or blah, 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 blah. It sucks. It sucks. There's no way around it. Um, World Cup final. I think the biggest thing with soccer is there's limited subs. And then what? Like if you keep going extra time it's going to get sloppier and sloppier and sloppier. Yeah, level of plays is going to get worse yeah like you even you saw it in the in that game right like once a once a team goes up or it got to where it was tied um obviously then Messi scored and then the penalty happened after that but there was a point where it was tied and both teams are just playing super conservative and it's like if you get a chance sure then be aggressive but because of how defense heavy that game gets to it's like almost at a stalemate. And if you knew we have to conserve energy because we're going to be doing this until someone scores and we can't really sub that much. So then the players just can be on the field running this massive field back and forth. It's going to get sloppier and sloppier and sloppier versus like, yes, I understand that it's a flip of a coin. If you will, the goalie has to guess somewhat, but there is skill to it. Oh, for no, sure. for sure. And so to me, it, it fits the nature of the game. Like, I, I like the idea of it. You could try to go, like, a little bit more. The only thing about it that I think hockey has somewhat figured out, that, like, 
soccer possibly could think about but i i think the way they have it works great when it actually is like hey we need to decide so we're going extra time than penalty shootouts i think that system works great but hockey obviously they get to come up with the puck right it's not just sitting there and they come up because i think the only thing with soccer is like to me very rarely actually probably never in soccer in like just the flow of the game is the ball just there and then the person shooting just gets to run up and kick there's a free kick. Yeah, but in the free kick, though, there's still people between you and the goal. Yeah. Like, it's literally only a penalty that that happens. Yeah, but I think, like, I think in it, hockey, if you if you had the same setup as, as soccer, where the puck was just still 20 feet in front of the net, the goal would, like, never happen. Like, Well, because the, the goal is so much smaller. Correct. I think, hockey, I, yeah. think if you, I think if you allowed players to run up and they could just shoot wherever... I, I don't know how many. Here's I'm just thinking like it would be in, in soccer. Would that make the penalty? Sh- I guess it would just be a question of like, does that make the penalty more or less likely to go in? If you let a player more. like start way more. It's more likely. I yes. just don't know if like, because it would give the goalie more information to predict. No, but the they can, thing. they can just fake a shot. Like You'd have and to then, figure out rules around it. Yeah. For sure. I was going right to say now, this. I, I think it's electric. Cause like the moment you had the Argentina goalie, block that one oh. penalty kick that oh was like electric gosh. yeah well also the at the end of the extra the time split the split, the split block was insane unreal insane. that guy that guy is the hero of his country what far. about this though we'll go back Martinez, to disc golf here we'll go back to disc golf because i'm sure we've had a lot of listeners just like skip 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 this part to get to the back to the disc golf but for our people that are still listening that are soccer fans is this a crazy idea you do three, three players. So you pick three people on your team. They all shoot. If there's a tie after those three, you can pick the same person or whoever, and they just go head to head. So then we would have had Messi Mbappe. versus Mbappe until one of them until one of them misses. Versus, I mean, I. You look at some of those people kicking for France at the end, and you're like, that person is not ready to kick this shot. Like, they clearly had a couple more people that were a little nervy with their kicks, and Argentina was just burying everything. So, that to me, like, instead of being like, okay, this is, and in some cases too, right? France, apparently, France, again, I don't really know that much soccer, so I'm, I'm reading what I'm, see on Twitter, they apparently subbed out some of their best strikers at the beginning Early of the, the game. Match. Yeah. So they're not having the fourth best penalty kick shooter go. They're having maybe the sixth or seventh best on the team. So like is that could be a crazy idea, but throwing it out there as an option of you used to three people. And if it's a tie after those first three kicks, then you just do you pick whoever you want. From there on out. Or you let you just ride for it. penalties or for penalties, here's another idea. The entire team's fair play. Not just who's on the field. Oh, you pull, you have like a dark horse guy that just is like Isn't that got a rocket is? of a leg. I'm not sure how you hockey works. I'm anyone? saying like the people who like France sure subbed yeah, yeah, out yeah, yeah. early. How France subbed out early, like let them back in for the yeah, penalty. Or you have someone on your team that doesn't ever play but has a rocket of a leg just in case for penalty kicks. And the only time he ever gets on is if it goes to the penalty kicks. Yeah. 
Why not? He's just, he's like, just like a 320-pound Messi, massive dude that just can kick or, the no, crap so out of like the ball. Messi's retired or like Ibrahimovic, right? Brody, or Trevor, Trevor, was saying, Trevor was saying that hockey is like you were saying, Brody. So like three people go, the three people, and then oh, really? you just pick whoever you want. From there on the, out? And they just keep going? Yeah. There you go. You've come up with it, Brody. I did not come up with it. I apparently stole it from hockey, but I don't watch hockey, so I didn't know Uh, that was the case. But no, but just imagine this world, right? Like Ibrahimovic retired. I don't think he plays internationally anymore. Messi is done with the World Cup, but you put Messi on your roster so that when you get to penalty shootouts, fifty-year-old Messi emerges. (laughs) Boom! Instagram. I I don't know if Messi would want to do that, but yes, in theory, that would be that would be incredible. Country enough. He comes yeah. back every four years. Oh, just for the, the World Cup? Closer. Yeah. I yeah, see just for, a penalty I, closer. I could see him doing it for the World Cup. So. Like that's all he's there for. He's just keeping his leg fresh. Right. He's, like the, he's like the NFL kicker. He's just keeping his leg fresh on the sideline. We've, we've bled enough shootouts. people's ears with the, with the soccer talk here. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's bounce over to another, another topic with Kristen Tatar. I want to talk real quick about the importance of having some of these international players playing in markets where they don't have to compete against American, American sports. They, the, the things, if Chris, I'll say this, if Kristen was from the United States, the, the opportunities and stuff that she's getting right now over in Estonia would probably not happen. And that's not to, that's not to take away from her accomplishments. That's simply just, the totem pole of where disc golf is in America is not near as high as it is in Estonia. So she's doing some crazy. I mean, she has a chance of winning uh, female athlete of the year. Yeah. Like that's incredible. That's awesome. But I did think it was, it was funny. Uh, and Silas, you can throw the photo up now. The world's trophy, uh, the picture that went viral, the one that I sent you and Trevor before Worlds happened, yeah. that trophy is going to be on display in the Estonian Sports and Olympics Museum. Yeah, it's so, going to be in a museum forever. Like, that's just <laughs> well, that's brutal. Well, no, the, the way I read it, the way I read it, it seemed like it was just like on display. It, it didn't. Okay. The way I read the post, it seemed like it was. That, gonna, I, let's hope you know, so. it, it, like it's an exhibit, you know. Like if you if you're there in December and January, you get to see it. But then if you don't get there in time, it's gone. Yeah. Um, because I mean, because yeah, if you're listening to this, go over to our YouTube so you can get you know remind yourself of what the trophy looks like. I just love like look in the background of this picture. What's back? Like there's a is that like Aristotle's head? On that display back there, <laughs> yeah, I don't know over I its know. left shoulder, and then you got this thing. Her discs look cool. I will say that she yeah, has she picked she picked two disc designs that are really really cool. But that that trophy just does not deserve to be in a museum. I'm sorry, I'll just say that. That's funny. It's very funny. I mean, if I, the creator of the trophy, whoever I'm guessing it's someone in Emporia that owns like a metal fabrication company, this is probably the first time their work's ever been displayed on a museum, and like that's cool. You know, I don't know. I saw this guy in a uh, a smelter shop. Yeah, and I was like, that thing just needs to be thrown in there. Just let's <laughs> just melt it down and make it. Just melt it down. Make it. Let's make something. a new one. Let's make it into something different. Come on, 
Chris and I, I'll hook you up if you want me to make you into a, uh, make you a new world's trophy. Let me know. I know a guy. She's got uh, she's got several grippies going her way right now. Ooh. I don't know where they're at in customs or <laughs> anything like that, but maybe she can just switch it out. <laughs> there you go. All right, let's talk about uh, the highest rated player. Something that we talk about a lot on debate night ratings. This is actually a topic too. I can't wait to dig into because. Like in the future, because I think we are going to have people on the show that believe in ratings. Yeah. Which I just, I'm always love hearing someone talk about their belief in ratings because I have zero belief in ratings. And here's another story. The highest rate player, if you have just joined disc golf in the last couple years, you have no idea who this person is. You've never seen this person play before. And he that's, is the yeah, highest. That's probably a fair. He's the highest rare player in the world. Yeah, I'm actually going to sort it because I got to read. There's two players above 1050 currently, 1050 or above, which that I think is one of the first times all year. We have Paul Macbeth at 1050, and the highest rated player in the world at 1051 is Manabu Kajiyama. Now, from Japan. He's never a, he se- is a filthy player. I was going to say, I have never seen him in person myself. I have heard people talk about his game and talk about how he, he is very good. The other thing I have heard from other people is when he got put on pro level courses, it kind of just like evened out. Like it, it, I it would was, say, it was I would not say pound for, yeah, pound for pound. He's probably the one of the farthest throwers in the world, pound for pound. But he, what, he weighs maybe like mean? what does that even mean? He maybe weighs like one fifteen. No. Maybe one. How tall is the guy? He's like he's uh five I three. No, he might be like five eight, five seven. He can't weigh one fifteen, Hunter. He would have no muscle. Uh, you uh, you, you got to see. I mean, he is his a bones he's a small, alone. Yeah, but like the guys his, uh, that the guys that f- fight fly uh, fly weight that like weigh in at one fifteen, they they still walk around at like one twenty eight, one thirty. And they I'm just have telling you, no this dude is like, I, I don't think this dude has an ounce of fat on him. So he's a flyweight fly wrestler. In 2017, <laughs> I can't find his height. In 2017, I watched him play the Australian Open. And in the person. dude was absolutely, yeah, he was absolutely ripping discs. And like they were coming, like he, you, like he had near perfect form, <laughs> so smooth. He was getting behind him, but they, they were going like 420. But it was because, like, he's just... But it looked like they were going far, probably. Oh, Like, if you just yeah. watched him. If you watched him, he was ripping. But he was he's one of the smoothest players in the world. There's no doubt about that. I, you know, but he's I not think, the highest-rated player in the world, no. I think, I think it's one of those situations... I mean, I think it would be awesome for him to come over. You know, Jackie Chen kind of did that experiment. I don't know what his plans are. The upcoming the upcoming season, I actually played with him in the, my last tournament in Vegas. But it'd be awesome for him to come over as well because I think there would be the same kind of hype going into the tournaments that like Jackie was getting of like, holy cow, this guy's gonna dis-, you know there will be some people be like, oh, this guy's gonna destroy the field and crush, and there will be some people like, no, he's overrated. Yeah, there'd be a lot of storylines coming into it, but. My guess is if if he 
because he's played in has he played in tournaments yeah. in the United States? That's about to say the last time he played in the U.S. was 2019. He came in 17th at Santa Cruz Masters Cup, which was a national tour at the time. Yeah, that's and right by California. In, and then came in 30th at Worlds. Where was Worlds played that year? Do you know? 2019, I think it was Peoria, Illinois, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, so that's yeah. a decent that's a decent little flight in there. But yeah, you know, I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see him, but. I would love to see him at a couple of events because, again, I think it'd be really cool just for, for the people I've never seen him play in person. I think it'd be cool to see. So he came in second this year. He came in second at the national doubles championship and then won out all B tiers. There you lose. go. He didn't lose a, a singles event this year. Right. Hey, Reddit, I Reddit may not be the most credible source, but they say he's 5'3. Five, 5'3. Three. Five, three. Maybe he is. There you go, Brody. You said he'd have to be 5'3. Yeah, he would. I would say five three for for one fifteen. So there's no way he's five three. I just remember watching him and I was like, "Holy cow, that dude's ripping a disc!" But then, because what are you, you five? Are you five ten? I'm five ten. He was considerably shorter than me. So he he's was below two, my chin. So that would, he that was below your sense. chin. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I was gonna say he's, shorter. He's shorter height for you would probably be right around five three. Yeah. All right, Dang, there you go. All right, all right. Saying, well, pound for pound, I think he's he might be the best in the guy. world. Pound we got to see this guy. We got to see this guy. Smooth as butter, incredibly smooth. We got to see this guy. All right, two topics left. We'll save the the final one for the final one for the end. That's kind of that's how that works. Yep. Yeah, that's normally how it works. But I want to talk a little bit about course ratings slash like more like rate rankings, I guess you could say. Okay. This is something that Udis posts a lot. I think the Disc Golf Pro Tour just posted about Maple Hill coming, you know, beca- being the number one course on Udisc. I want to talk about this a little bit because I think there is... The reason why I d- I'm not a huge fan of Udis rate- rankings, ratings, whatever you want to say, their, their star system. Yeah. I think people rate stuff completely different like everyone rates their own everyone has their own idea of what a course is good and what makes a course bad yes like there you could go to a course that is incredible to some people but if you played really badly that day or if it was too difficult for you you could just be like this course sucks two stars three stars or the conditions could be bad whatever my my point is like i i don't care about that if what you just wants to do, I think that is helpful for most people. My point more is like, it would be cool. We're not there yet. I understand that. We're not even close to being there yet. But I think it would be cool to have some sort of committee of 15, 20, 30, however many people. And they all put in their rankings of courses in the United States. And there has to be some sort of kind of like criteria basis that you kind of go off of a little bit of where everyone, you know, everyone's paying attention to like these things. Obviously there's going to be some biases in there, but it would be cool to see kind of like a committee, what they would consider the best courses in the U S obviously you have to do the U S because, you know, having people try to travel outside to play courses doesn't make any sense, but yeah, I think you could in the next, you know, five, 10 years, maybe come up with some sort of, you know, USA's top 100 courses, top 50 courses. 
Because I know in golf that is a huge thing, and you have to, you know, you have to go through a selection process, and sometimes it's 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 even an invite only to get in to be a voter on these things. That would be a cool thing. That'd just be another cool thing to kind of see what the top courses are outside of like the general population. Yeah, I would say it'd be like a. It's kind of like for movies, like Rotten Tomatoes, where you have like. Yes. The Rotten Tomatoes score and then the audience score. There's some people like me, I don't care at all about like what who votes on Rotten Tomatoes. I would imagine film critics. Those critics? Those are critics? Okay. I typically what a film critic is critical about a movie is stuff that I don't care about at all. Correct. Right? Of like just like insightful stuff. But there's an audience of people who is, right? So I a lot of times just look at the audience score and like regardless of what the film critics think, if it's just like an entertaining, funny movie that was shot super poorly, editing sucks, acting sucks, but it's hilarious, I'm going to enjoy that movie because I don't care about all that stuff. If it's funny, it's funny. Um, I think that's kind of like what this would be, right? It's like you have your general disc golfers that like all your buddies rated course five stars because it's just super fun to play, but it's not technically challenging. You know, it's a boring course. There's a lot of backhand hyzers you know, too many trees in the fair, whatever it may be, where it's not going to get a good technical score, but a good just, like, friends and family score. Mm-hmm. Then, like, there's people who just like, oh, that's sick. I'm going to have go, the friends and family score is five stars. I'm going to go have a great time at that course. But then the technical score is, like, this course would suck if, like, if you're looking at the course in, like, the grand scope of every course in America, this course is really bad because it doesn't compete compete with distance or elevation change or whatever it's where you have like your rotten tomato score and your audience score right now i think we just have an audience score because you're right like a lot of times even just like your friends that you go to a course with like i've had times where like there's been a course mm-hmm. that i'm super excited to play and then i take a you know a group of buddies and i get out there and i'm expecting like this is gonna be a great time and they all hate it and it's just like four holes in they're like this course sucks and just like go over and over. And next thing you know, I'm like, you know, yeah, this course really isn't that good. Or I get really defensive of the course. Either way, I'm biased one way or the other now. Or you show up with your buddies. You don't know what to expect. Y'all all play the well, round of your life. And you're like, yes. this is the greatest course I've ever seen. And so then that's, that's where a lot of like where, five star and one stars come from, I think. And, you know, my, my course near and dear to my heart, Dash's Track. You guys have seen me play this course dozens of times. I'm just going through... The ratings on this is a 3.9. Now, if I was on this committee of rating, first off, this course would never even be like a course that we'd be sent to to play to see if it was a top 50 course in the country. But if we were sent there and the scale, let's not even say, let's not even say the scale was out of five. Let's give the scale out of 10. Out of 10, this is not a 3.9. Yeah. Right. It's, it's lower than a 3.9 out of 10. But, here you have you know a bunch of people saying five. Uh, this guy said four. Left hand, backhand friendly, wide, spacious tee pads, short technical course. Another four. Lots of trees and brush make this short range course a modest technical challenge. But then you also have someone that just gives it a three, and their their only thing that they left was muddy. So it's like yeah. You know, that's where, yeah, that's where like you went there after a rain. It doesn't do well after rain. So you're going to say this course sucks. Where like that person's score score could have been much higher if they would have went on a different day. So kind of like one of the who cares type of things. But at the same time, 
I think it would be a cool thing to just read on what some of the, you know, someone like an Avery Jenkins, you know, or a, um, trying to think of some other people that would be really good at Scott Stokely well, would probably have another good person. Yeah. Um, here's a question. Go for it. Is you just already doing this to a certain extent or like, cause like what, so I was just looking at like our local area, right? And you have peaks. You park is rated a 4.3. They're already doing this. No, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Cause like peaks, you parks 4.3 out of five. Right. And then yeah. new London techs 4.8. But like, what would happen if, say, we were able to convince five thousand people to just give Peaks U Park a five star rating? Yeah, like the short, super easy, or what we can do Dash's track. We were able to get five thousand five star ratings on Dash's track, yeah. where it's like, if you go to Texas or whatever it would take, where if you look at Texas from just U Disc statistics point, this of is view, the number one course in Texas. It's the number one course in Texas. It's, okay. it's 4.9 stars with over 5,000 five-star ratings. Like, would that then... Like, is there a chance yes. that Dash's track on UDISC is the number one course in the world? Yes. Did I just come up with an idea? Like that... <laughs> what, are you, what are you even saying? That's literally... UDISC oh, literally like, just Surely they out. wouldn't let that happen. Sure, is what I'm saying. I'm saying like... What would they do? We start a campaign to get Dash's track to be the number one course in the world. Ma- Maple Hill is four point nine with six thousand six hundred ratings. That's all it would take. I've never seen a. I've never seen a four point. I've never seen a four point nine. Brody, I think we know what we have to do. <laughs> I think there's only one answer here. We need to get seven thousand people to get five stars to Dash's track. All right, everyone that's listening, <laughs> go to Dash's track. Dash's track. D A S H track. Don't actually uh, do this. I don't want to no, screw don't, with you. This they've don't. got. They've got it going on over there. I don't want to do it. But man, would that be a good time? Twenty twenty three comes out number. I love how you're asking, like what. Yes, well, it, I'm like, that's... surely they wouldn't let that happen. Is what I'm like thinking in my head. But I'm like, yeah, they would. They 100 percent would. They literally when they easy. go and what is the other? What's the um? Isn't day loss super highly rated too? So like, if I started a course, I'm starting a course, right? I'm having a pro. You shop probably have to I'm have saying, a minimum. You probably have to have a minimum amount of ratings to be in. There. But what I'm saying is, I'm starting a course in a populated area. And I'm having a pro shop. And I'm saying, if you rate us five stars, you get a free disc. And in the course of like a year and a half or two years, I'll be the number one course in the country. Well, that's also cheating. But hey, Daylaw almost won 4.8. They're right there. Dang. <laughs> uh, yeah. They probably okay, have so a stupid amount track. of ratings. Oh, they don't even have that many. They only have 4,000. So Maple Hill has like 2,000 more ratings than Daylaw. How many, let's see how many ratings New London has. New London's 4.8. With 1,100 ratings. You know, I, I wonder, you know what they do too, I bet? I bet they do like a, a scoring of where it's like, if you're like 4.8 with how many ratings? 1,100. So that is probably lower on the scale than the 4.8 with 4,000 too. Yeah. So that way they don't have a situation where someone has like a, you know, a 4.9 ratings. Yeah. So, yeah. But I, th- I thought that was interesting. All right, last topic. Let's 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 give the people some info, some updates on 
the Natalie Ryan. Are we calling it the Natalie Ryan v. PDGA? Are we? Is that the lawsuit? I think. I mean, we, there's no official lawsuit yet, but I think we can call it that. Sure. Okay. Um, so what what do you have? Because she did make a post that I did. I I did want to talk about a little bit more because it looks like she doubled down on her. Yeah. On her on her stance of uh, her first post. The, so. Yeah, I'll let you talk about the post. Um, um, so she obviously started a GoFundMe. I don't know if that. I don't think that was live when we did debate night. No, it was. We we did discuss we it. We talk about it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's over ten thousand dollars raised so far. Um, something new that came out is the Ultra World Disc Golf did a Q and A with the PGA, questioning them, asked a lot of the questions that were brought up um, to the PGA. So, um, I'm trying to read. So. The first off, they asked the PDGA, will the PDGA be doing random blood sampling or drug testing of players? And the PDGA said, not at this time. So I think that kind of brings up how is this going to be enforced to a certain extent. Yep. Um, they also did ask the question of why was the testosterone maximum for transgender women set at, two, set at two nanomoles per liter when that falls within the normal range of cisgender women? This is not a level that other sport federations selected. And the PDGA said, when considering a change for the eligibility criteria, the PDGA board of directors debated various proposals from members of the board, PDGA staff, internal committees, external groups, and PDGA members at large. The board of directors chose that level that they deemed appropriate. So essentially they said nothing. Yeah, because we just decided it. Yeah. That's basically what um, they said. Yeah. So essentially they were that. They're that like, why did you decide like, too? And they're like, well, we talked about it and that's the number we came up with. It's like, yeah. So we just kind of like, right, we, well. we, we got a bunch of input from a bunch of different people and we decided this number. So yeah, still no answer there yep. realistically. Um, and then they asked if there's a time frame for the review. PDJ said it's uh, eligible for review annually. Um, I think there was other. Oh, this is a good one here too. This is another good question. You can read all the questions on Ulti World if you want to check them out. They said, um, what is the rationale for different eligibility policies for pro majors and everything else? Which I think is one of the big yes, questions, right? That's a big PJ one. said, this evaluation balanced a need for fairness with our values of inclusion. The board concluded that the balance was best served by a more stringent po- policy at the highest level of the sport, FPO majors, and a more inclusive policy at A tiers and below. Yeah, it makes that makes no sense, but okay. Because you're not, you're not excluding anyone from playing. That's the thing is like, there is a division for them to play. Yeah. No, no one is not, no one is not having a spot to play. So there doesn't need to be a inclusion clause of where it's like, well, we need to be, make sure like if you, if you deem that it is an unfair advantage at the highest level, then it's an unfair advantage at every level. Correct. Yeah. To me, basically what the decision originally, what I think they were questioned for, uh, showed and what that answer shows is like basically the PDGA is like at the end of the day we just don't really care that much about A tiers and below. Yeah, clearly because like cause... because it if and what they said there because originally we were like well what are they saying like A tiers and below like we think this makes it fair but just to be super safe we're doing it up here but no what this answer shows I think is their research and everything they did decided that the what the Pro Tour has now put into place and what the PDJ put into place for majors that's what they believe makes the field fair. But essentially they were just like, but you know, Hey, we'll, we'll throw you a bone for eight tiers below and majors pro master majors. You know, we don't, we don't need to make the field what we deem is fair for those. We'll just make the field what we deem is fair for, for FPO majors. Um, and so to me, I'm like, that just kind of shows 
the inner working of PDGA a little bit where they just, it's not as important to them. So uh, last week I was throwing myself into mental pretzels left and right. Yes. And I've been thinking on this issue and topic for the last few days of just trying to figure out a better way of like, not just like describing my thoughts, but also just, uh, myself understanding like what's going on. I think this is the easiest way for me to kind of the simplest way of throwing it out there. And then we'll, we'll jump into Natalie's code. There are divisions created for fairness. There's a reason why everyone has decided that a 10 year old that is playing football is 15 year olds are not allowed to go down and play against 10 year olds. There's age divisions because everyone has come to the realization that a 10 year old boy or girl is far different than a 15 year old on average boy or girl. So it is not fair for 15 year olds to compete against 10 year olds. So 10 year olds are protected in their age division. Now there is no, uh, There is nothing stopping that 10-year-old that is his absolute freak to be able to go up and play against the 15-year-olds. You can always move up into a division that has uh, more of, I guess, you want if you want to say advantage, you can always move up. But you can never move down from an advantage division to a disadvantage division. So just the same as age divisions... There are also weight divisions in other sports, wrestling, boxing. And we've all, everyone has come to the realization that in a boxing match, a 155 pound guy has a huge disadvantage against a 200 pound guy. So essentially a 200 pound guy, and we saw this with literally, if you watch and you can say it was fixed or whatever you want, I believe it was a real fight. Logan Paul, Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather, one of the best boxers of all time. Logan Paul, picking up the sport the last couple of years, has gotten good at it, but you could see them fighting in a boxing match. How much of an advantage Logan Paul had by being a bigger guy? Even though Floyd has way better skill, Logan's a much bigger guy, more advantage. So everyone has come to the realization that weight in those sports is where the division needs to be separated. We've also, everyone has come to decision across every sport that men and women need to be separated, right? There needs to be a separation between genders. Men play over here, women play over here. Now there always has been, and these stories have come up of like tennis players, golfers. We see it now in, um, Football with uh, the girl that, oh gosh, I'm blanking on her name or her team, but she's not just a kicker. She like actually is yeah. like scoring touchdowns and stuff. ESPN's both. We've seen where women have moved over and played in the men's division, but we've never seen men. Men have never been allowed to go and play in the women's division, right? And so right. these things are across the board. Everyone has agreed that this is where the playing field should be set. So we have all decided that there are advantages to being, on average, a man versus a woman in athletics. So this is where 
at the end of the day, this is where like the, the, the idea and I get, uh, obviously I read a lot of the comments on our last podcast. I understand that when someone is transitioning, they are not taking, you know, cause I, th- I think I might've misspoke a couple of times with what I was actually trying to say with, I, I know they're not taking things to disadvantage themselves to be able to play sports. Correct. I realize that they're not, that's not the reason why they're taking um, the, the medication. However, if they do want to play, if they want to transition from a, from a, from a, a man to a woman, if they want to make that transition, there has to be, because we, we have all decided that there needs to be a division there. There has to be that, that advantage that we've all decided exists. There needs to be that advantage somehow. And this is where it's difficult of where it's scientifically proven that dis- that advantage has been taken away. So I think that is what I was trying to, my mental pretzel of where I was like comparing myself to LeBron. And I was like, well, how is that? Like, you have to go off of the averages. You have to go off of, yes, there are cases where someone in that group is far superior than everyone else. But as a group, that group is still advantageous, just like the 15-year-olds as a group are going to always be better than 10-year-olds as a group. So that's hopefully that kind of clears it up. And I think we can all agree on that. Now, the disagreements can come from whether or not the science, there's enough science to prove that the, the advantage that we've all agreed exists is taken away. Correct. Now let me go into her post. So real quick, she made another post saying, I'm not the only new touring player who has found success as part of a newer generation of FPO disc golfers with a more well-rounded game. Attributing this success only to the fact that I'm transgender ignores the hard work I've put in to gain competency in every shot, shape, and angle, but it also ignores the fact that others have done so too. So let's stop here real quick. I don't know necessarily, I don't know, like for me, like I don't think I'm taking away anything from her work ethic. I think we've also talked about this, Hunter, multiple times of how as the sport continues to grow, as more money continues to go in, you are going to see people take disc golf more seriously. And more people are going to work harder and more people are going to put in the time and effort. I think we have seen that on the FPO side. And I think we have seen that on the MPO side as well, where there have been some players that maybe, you know, they bounce up the leaderboard here and there. And now they're more of a mainstay because they have put more time and effort into it. I don't know for me. I don't, I don't know if that is necessarily the angle that people are going after saying I'm not discrediting um, the, the hard work that, that Natalie has put in. I think though the, the question is again, if, if Natalie was playing in the MPO division, there would be no one questioning the hard work because the level that Natalie would be playing at would not be on the same scale with the competitors that she would be playing against. If that makes sense. And I think this is kind of goes into what you guys were saying with grip locked of where 
I can see where Natalie and others on the pro tour can feel like this is a direct attack against them. But this is something that we said from the, from day one is it, it's not going to be an issue until someone wins. It's not going to be an issue until it's brought to the forefront of where this needs to be, we need to look into this and decide whether or not this is what we want to keep going or there needs to be a change, right? Like we, mm-hmm. we, we, just, we, we said that from the beginning of where as soon as someone transitions and then starts winning or competing at the highest level, then all of a sudden people are going to be like, what's going on? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, very difficult topic. Obviously, you're going to have people on both sides of the equation. I, 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 I still don't know if I, I agree with what you and Trevor were saying of where her best case is probably going at the PGA saying, if if this if you did deem this an unfair advantage, then it should be an unfair advantage across the board. Mm-hmm. I think that is the best case moving forward. I think the doubling down on like trying to make it sound like people are taking away the talent because of hard work. I don't know if that's the right way of going about it. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see where it would feel like that because. It's very it's it's so tough because like I'm a first off I'm sure there are people that have said that against her right I'm sure there are people that have said like well the only reason you found success at all is because of X Y or Z when obviously like that's not the case like you you still it's have to be a yes. good disc golfer like you aren't gonna take, you still have to practice you still have to practice exactly exactly like that like that still is a big factor in all of this is like like we had said there's a reason that it's just now becoming a problem or not even a problem, just now becoming something that's being addressed, is because she won. Well, a problem for some. Some people do yes. seem some people do view it as a problem and others don't. And that's yeah. and that's where, you know, that's why it's being addressed now because before no one seemed no one saw it as a problem because it's not no one's gonna see it as a problem if the like you said last week, if the person's coming in thirty fifth place. No one's gonna see it as a as a problem. Well, um, less less people because sure. if you if you're sure. still sure 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 because you could say you could still say like if 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 they're cashing and they're taking cash spots or then you could even go on and say well they're taking a spot in the actual event where that spot should be there are going to but like when when you start winning now it makes it to where there's a lot more people that view it as a problem where before it was only a select few yeah um, um but so I'm I'm sure that she's having frustration because she's getting this comment from people all over the place where people are just discrediting all the work she's put in all the hours in the field, all, all this stuff that it goes into being a professional disc golfer is just being thrown out the window because of this. So I'm sure that there's some validity. Um, whereas like, obviously for us, that was never a question. That was never something that we brought up, but I'm sure that that was something that was brought up by others against her. Yeah, and, I, and this is where this is where it's tricky too, right? Because uh, you do hear this, you do hear the, this type of rhetoric in in other sports as well, and directed towards other individuals too. Of like, well, they're only good because they're tall. Well, they're only good because they're fast. Well, they're only good because of this, and it takes away all the effort, time, 
dedication. And if you are that athlete, uh, it is kind of demoralizing to have someone basically strip you of all the, the hard work, sweat, tears, all the stuff that you have done to get to where you are and have people literally just break it down to where it's just like, well, they were just genetically gifted. Yeah. And it's like, how many people have we seen that have been genetically gifted and just don't pan out? Like, th- I mean, to be Tons. successful, to be successful is very difficult, regardless of whether you have the genetics or you don't have the genetics. You still have to, I mean, the mental capacity, that's one thing that you have to have. Like, no matter how gifted you are as an athlete, a lot of people struggle with the mental side. And to be stripped of that, I do not think is fair. So that argument too, I don't like that argument on both sides of the table. But this is where if we have, if we've all decided that there is a difference between being born uh, with and going through puberty, puberty and doing all that. So we all decide that there is a difference to where we have to separate genders in athletics because we've done that for every sport. If we've all decided that is why we're doing it, because uh, not because we don't want guys and girls to play with each other, because it's simply not a fair landscape. The, my thing is like, if that has been decided, then I need to see proof that that is not the case. Mm-hmm. And and again, this is where it's tricky because you could take someone, and this is the last thing I'll say, because this is where it, the average all matters, right? Because are we now? Are you are you okay? Are we okay with saying that some people are allowed to transition and play in FPO, and some people aren't allowed to transition to play FPO? Because well, what I mean by that is like, if you take the average person, mm-hmm. okay, let's, and again, I don't want people to take this the wrong way. I don't feel like this is a negative thing to say, but let's say you have three level of genetics when it comes to um, a guy. Okay. You have someone that's like not athletically gifted at all, middle of the road, crazy athletically, crazy athletically gifted. If all three of these people transitioned, the way that they would play in uh, the FPO division would be very di- vastly different from the from each other. Yeah. So, is there is that like is that a situation of where because uh, because again, if you want to go down that road, like then what are you going to do? You're going to have to look at each person and say like you were too genetically yeah, gifted. You just have to solve the average. That's that's what I think the science has to solve is the average because we talked about like Brittany Griner last week. Like if Brittany Griner came over, I'm a average to below average athletic male, right? I'm not getting the point up, but that's mm-hmm. not the that's not the average, right? So I think you yeah. have to solve the average because the outliers you you can't you can't worry about the outliers because if you solve the LeBron James Brittany Griner outlier, it screws the average. Yeah, so like that's that's where I think the science has to. Ha- you can't. It can, I don't think it can be a case by case basis, right? Like I don't think it can no. be a person by person. Now I will say, we 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 mentioned it a little bit in the PGA article. They they have just thrown themselves in a terrible position because the the drug testing things are being thrown out. The blood te- all these things are they have they are in no position like. 
how difficult it is to put together like a constructive, well, concise, fair drug testing in an athletic, uh, div- uh, not even just like on the disc golf pro tour, but now like across the entire PDGA, like all these events, they have thrown themselves in a, I don't even know. I mean, like the, well, what the heck are they going to do? Because they are in no back, position to do it. Yeah. They're in it no position to do to it. The, the email leak that happened a while ago, right? It's like Natalie Ryan. If Natalie Ryan wasn't publicly about any of this, right? It was just under the radar player. The PDJ has basically said like you, you, they, they outlined where you can't question anything and then they won't test. It doesn't seem. Mm-hmm. So how are they enforcing the rules? Saying they won't test, they they can't test. That's what I'm saying. They so do like, not. They do not have the the ability the to test. What's the right point now. of the policy then, if you can't enforce it? I mean, what it sounds like the point of the policy right now is the few people that you know that are violating the policy now, and maybe now I'm on Natalie's side because now it does sound like you might have just threw me on Natalie's side because now it does sound like. The whole point of this was just to have Natalie not be able to play. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like on the if the PDJ is being, if the PDJ is like, well, we can't do, we can't do any blood testing, we can't do any testing. Uh, well, also, we we can't really ask any questions, and we can't enforce. If you can't enforce it, then what's stopping Natalie Ryan from showing up at the Las Vegas Challenge and refusing to show the? That's like, also like, very good. That is if a good I'm, point. If I'm Natalie Ryan, I'm forcing the PDJ's hand. Personally, yeah. What are they going to do? Make them make make them do something because then, realistically, I don't know. I don't, I, I mean, I might have just I might have just done something here. Uh, realistically, like make them throw you off the course because now you might actually have a a case. Yeah, because if they throw you off the course without any like testing, wow. Okay, like the PDGA, yeah, you just threw, if the PDGA yeah. is putting this policy in place, they have to have the means to enforce the policy. Enforce if the PDGA it, doesn't have the means to enforce the policy, then why is the policy there? Yeah. No, it's crazy. Yeah, because again, I'm on... This is where it's crazy. This, this is where the whole situation is crazy because I feel like the, the way that the PDGA has gone about this has been terrible. Uh, they've done a terrible job because I am... I am on the side of where I do believe and the reason why we have divisions, I do believe there are unfair advantages between divisions of ages, weight classes, genders, and that's why we have divisions. So I am under the notion of I do not want someone that has an advantage to be able to play in another division unless that advantage has been somehow wiped clean. Now, how do you do that? I don't know. But that's where I am. But the PGA has made a mess of this because you just made a... Yeah, like what the heck are they going to do? If Natalie just shows up to the first tee... I don't know. I mean, I mean maybe unless, maybe unless the Pro Natalie's... Tour won't let her sign up to the event. But like, but how? But how are, they, how are they enforcing that? Like, you're not allowed to sign up. Why? This, this, and this. Okay, we'll prove that. Like... I, this is this, you might have just thrown a whole nother. Well, the, the yeah. only thing I can think is like if if Natalie, which previously she had, 
shared medical documents with the PDGA that would prove mm. she's ineligible to play. But the PDGA and the emails have said that's not a requirement. I think Natalie had done it on good graces to let everyone know, like, hey, I meet the yes. PDGA current standards. I'm allowed to play. Well, there was a bunch of there was a bunch of people claiming that Natalie was transitioning simply to play in the FPO, which is a ridiculous, yeah, a ridiculous thing to say. No, and so I think that's why maybe that that blood work or whatever would be the only thing. Like if she's already because now the PDGA is saying for two years you have to be under this level, right? So if she's already given evidence to the PDGA that she doesn't meet that standard, then the PDGA would have that for Natalie specifically, but. What about the next player? Yeah, no, I mean it's they've thrown themselves in a huge pickle. They they have thrown themselves in a huge pickle. And um, do I have any? I'm glad confidence? I'm not the PGA. That's all I was going to say. Do I have, do I have any confidence in the PGA? Absolutely not. They've. I mean, we don't have to go that far back to where they threw themselves in a huge pickle at the World Championship. I bailed them out a little bit, and then they threw me under the bus, like. I, I have zero confidence in the PDGA. I feel like when they get their backs put up against the wall, which is kind of what's happening right now, I feel like their next move is always terrible. I feel like they always make the wrong a wrong move. <laughs> so I don't know what's going to happen moving forward. I think you brought up something that I haven't even thought about as a as a potential situation. And, uh, yeah, you know, this off season has been wild and crazy for completely different reasons. And I guess we'll, we'll kind of see what happens going forward. I don't know. I don't know yeah. what else. To, I don't know. It's, Did you want to read the rest of Natalie's post or was it just the first, first slide? No, she kind of, she kind of doubled down a little bit on like players, not really. She did the whole like players aren't really working hard type of thing. And like, I don't know. I, again, I, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a fan of that. I'm not a fan of like trashing. Like I I'm fine with saying like I'm fine with saying that the growth of disc golf is still on the up and up. And I've said this before of like if you aren't willing to work hard, if you aren't willing to put in the hours, then you know you're probably going to get passed. And I'm completely fine with saying that. And I'm completely fine with some players are going to get phased out. But like trashing the entire division and basically saying like no one works hard. I mean, I could, I could, I could then like turn around and ask Natalie like, okay, so uh, are you on a specific eating plan? Like your diet? Are you eating certain foods? Are you lifting weights? Are you in the gym four, four or five times a week lifting weights? Are you doing cardio as well four or five times a week? Are you like, I can then, because I'm sure what, I'm sure what she's doing in her mind is like more than what she maybe sees other FPO players doing. But then I could literally flip the script right around and say like, okay, but do you know the amount of work that like an Olympic gymnastic puts in to their craft? Do you know the amount of time and work that uh, NFL quarterback does of with how much uh, gameplay they're watching hours and hours a week? Like, there's levels to everything, and that's why I don't think it's fair to just basically say, like, I'm beating everyone because everyone else around me is not working hard enough. I don't think that's very fair. Yeah. And maybe, I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's where I'll leave it on that. I will say, though, yes, I agree that there are people on tour 
that aren't working nearly as hard as people on tour will be in five, 10 years. But you can't trash people and just say like, I'm beating people. I'm not even good and I'm beating people. Like that, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of my argument. Yeah. Like if I'm, if I'm a 15 year old and I'm playing in a 10 year old age division, I would probably say the same thing of like, I'm not even that good at basketball and I'm freaking dunking on all these kids. Like that's, that's like the opposite that's argument what, yeah, that's to the I case. On, like that's on, not a good case to have. That's why I said on grip locks. I was like, I don't think the wording of that line in the GoFundMe helps the case. I had no, a, I don't think that like saying I'm not very good. I'm just good enough to win or however she exactly worded it. But that's what she said. Like, I don't think that helps because that Cause basically, because like Kristen Tatar, I don't think if I ask Kristen Tatar or Paige Pierce, the, the women she's regularly beating, if I ask them, like, are you good at disc golf? I doubt Kristen Tatar would be like, no, I, I'm, I'm not that good, but I am good enough to beat everyone. Like, I don't think that would be her answer. Same side on the, on the, on the MPO side, anyone that's winning a tournament, if you ask them like, Hey, are you good at disc golf? And obviously good is, you know, I'm sure certain people would say like, I can be much better than not where I am. But like in the grand scheme of things, if you're winning a, a, on an MPO event, you're good at disc golf. You're not, yeah. you're not bad. So, um, so yeah, we'll leave it at that. We'll, we'll, we'll see kind of where it plays out moving forward. And, uh, yeah, this is a, this is a crazy one because I think the PDGA now is like, they have put themselves in a situation where majority of the time they like to take a seat back and like kind of go under the radar. And they have now just literally alarms are going, the lunk alarm is going off. Everyone is, their eyes are on the PGA to see what their next move is. So we'll see. Interesting. For sure. Um, all right. Well, we got some uh, stuff from Twitter to wrap up. Yeah, the let's show. bounce to some questions. Um, so I tweeted out, got some questions. I believe Brody quote tweeted, also tweeted out, got a few questions. Um, so I think we'll pull some of these, uh, answer them up, and then wrap the show up. Um, you want to go first? Or you? I want, yeah, yeah, well, you this go. one's kind of semi-relevant, I guess. Bill Brasky um, said, could there ever be a competitor to the PDGA and what would that look like? Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think right now, a competitor to the PGA would probably make a lot more sense than a competitor to the Disc Golf Pro Tour because the Pro Tour, to compete against the Pro Tour, you would actually need to pull players mm-hmm. from tournaments to go to your tournaments. Where a competitor to the PGA, essentially, if you just had a nonprofit, someone, or you could even have someone just say, like, hey, we are going to be the official, well, not the official, but we are going to come up with a rule system for the disc golf pro tour. Uh, well, God, now, now I'm taking my mind. It would would be very tough to take over, but like a competitor can always exist, right? Like, yeah, sure. I could start, uh, uh, whatever I want to call it tomorrow, come up with a new set of rules or even the similar set of rules, basically the same set we play but by. I think the PGA is so much and more than just a rule set. I, yeah. That's I'm saying what, like that's, that's the part start there and then offer sanctioning to events and, you know, have members like you, you can start a competitive competitor. Sure. But starting a competitor and having one take over, uh, are two completely different things. I think, I think the PDJ has gotten big enough now that it would be hard, but we're not at a point where it's impossible for something to take yeah. over. I mean, obviously like, 
even in a much bigger scale, you have the PGA Tour and the Live Tour. And like, sure, the Live Tour, as of right now, Live Golf is not taking over the PGA Tour, but it's probably bigger than a lot of people thought it could be. And it's a question of like how how long they keep spending money on it without making the money back, surely. But hey, there's one coming to the Greenbrier two hours away in August. I know, right? And I saw I that. I kind of low key want to go because <laughs> why not? It'd be kind of why cool. not? I I would say more realistic is instead of like a competitor coming up and like actually competing for that space, I would say the the amount of weight that the PGA currently has in the disc golf world would probably decrease. I think that's more realistic than someone else coming up and competing. I just feel like certain aspects that the PGA does currently, other companies could do to where the PGA isn't as involved, but those companies are more specialized. So maybe there's a company that just specializes in sanctioning tournaments. And maybe there's a company that specializes in the rule whatever but yeah i don't i don't foresee the pga going anywhere anytime soon all right daniel martinez asks will disc golf ever be family friendly for pros meaning pros actually being able to settle down get married have kids if they want very few touring pros do i'd imagine if pay goes up then sure it's an interesting one because if you actually start going down the list on mpo and fpo there are not there are some married players out there but when you're looking at families it is small pickings and i just think the lifestyle of a disc golfer right now with how things are set up it doesn't necessarily bode too well for families and it probably also doesn't bode too well for relationships unless that person is willing to travel around in a van with you yeah well, I think, I think that what the change, in my opinion, that will make it more family friendly for pros, if you will, um, is the year round schedule, where where pros can pick and choose their off season, pick and choose their times between, to where you might be able to go a month on, month off, month on, month off. Whereas, like right now, March to October, you're grinding, right? No matter how you set up your schedule, March to October is a grind, and yep. then you have a few months off. And yeah, it's. I think the other thing that's that's tough with it is if you're not the top top of of the sport, it's hard to be able to afford your family to even come with you, right? Like, oh yeah, even even van wise and stuff. They like would that, have to. Do, they would have to have a job as well, like a remote yeah, it's, job. It's not a. It's not exactly the the style of the sport right now is not a, a lifestyle, and really, it's a style of any touring sport, right? Like a professional golfer. The money makes it worth it in a lot of ways, but it's still not a lifestyle that's very family friendly. Like you're still away from your kids a lot, away from your wife a lot. Yeah. Yeah. They might be able to come out to events and stuff, but as your kids get older, like, yeah, it's, it's it, the touring life, the professional athlete life in general is not very family friendly. Like even NBA players, like, yeah, LeBron James has a wife and kids and stuff, but you know, it's a sacrifice of like, it's a sacrifice if you get to see them a lot for certain stretches and you get to have freedom. But then when it's NBA season time or NFL time. season time, it's go time. And yeah, you're not going to really, you're not going to be very present, but the goal, right. In those sports, at least is you get to the age 35, 40 and you're, you you're done with work for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Right. So your kids might That's... only be 10 to 12 and you get to spend the remainder of their teenage and into college years of like whatever you want to do. Like we are, we're set now. 
right? That's, Whereas that's, that's a, where disc golf yeah. hasn't exactly gotten. Well, that's the big issue with disc golf too right now is just the, the, where it is currently, the majority of people that are professional disc golfers, they're not loading up their bank accounts and investments and buying real estate and doing all that. They're basically money comes in, money goes out. Money comes in, money goes out. And that doesn't really bode for being able to kind of, like we said, provide for a family long term. So uh, again, it's one of those as disc golf, hopefully we keep saying continues to grow, continues to grow, money goes up. Those things, um, and we're seeing those things at the top level, like we said, for like the top level guys, top level, like Kristen probably made well over what, 300,000? At least close. I mean, we know the public numbers. We know she made over 225. Yeah. So she probably was close to that range. So, like, obviously she's doing great, but you go down just a couple ladder points and it, it falls off drastically. So, um, all right. Who, do you, who else you got? Yeah. So the next one I've got on here, uh, this one I think is more of a question for you, um, but because I don't really have a good answer. But I think you have opinions on this all the time. Uh, Jeff Ogan wants to know what disc golf is needing more of from the analytical side of, th- side of things. It's like, what are oh, some, like some statistics, analytics, statistics? Statistics side? We've talked through some yeah. of them, but... Yeah, no, I think, I think just having... First off, just having better, more accurate statistics, I think, is the first step. You know, if that means having people be trained a little bit rather than, you know, sometimes... You just have a UDIS person just like thrown on the card moments before you tee off. So being able to even give them like five minutes of like, this is what you need to be looking for. This is what you're doing. So more, more training with the people taking statistics. And then I would, I would also say the two things off the top of my head right away that I would like to see is the putting be, uh, um, be changed with like every five feet or so. So right now it's like C1, C1 or C1X, C1 and C2. That's really all we're getting. And if you make a putt from 35 feet, we don't know that that putt was from 35 feet. It just says the average between 30, what, 33 and like... What is it, 40 or something? It might throw it around 35, but... I think it's like 35, 36. So, like, there's a big difference between making, like, a 45-footer and making a... Or, sorry, like, a 50-footer and making, like, a 42-footer. Or making a 34-footer and making a 39-footer. And we don't ever really see those. Well, also, the percentage... The C2 percentage, like... It's just as a whole. If you have a bunch... Like, if, if we're both playing around, you're a better C2 putter than me by far. But if I have 10 35 footers and you have 10 60 footers, I will probably have a better circle two putting percentage. But that's not telling the full story because, like, if we both had 10 35 footers, yeah, you're going to be putting way better than me from circle two. But since I'm just like a little bit closer, it doesn't even matter what my score is, just how the chips are falling. I might have a 50% C2 putt and you might have 25%, but all yours were 60 feet and all mine were 35 feet. Yep. Another one that I would love is if we do get more of a closer range of distance, then we can actually do like total feet of putt made. If that gets like tighter, that would be interesting to see. 
And then scrambling, I think scrambling right now is a stat that is really bad. Um, because there's like, uh, there's certain situations where it's like just literally impossible to scramble from. And, you know, if you go OB or uh, you throw into a hazard or whatever, like there's certain situations where it's just like you have to like make a shot from 150 feet or it, it counts against your scramble. To me, I would love to see a way of like where the scramble is. Um, you can also scramble for a birdie. I think that would be cool to where if you threw a shot into the woods on a par four and you were able to throw out of the woods and still make a birdie, in my opinion, like that should be counted as a scramble the same way as if you're a, if you threw a shot into the woods on a par three and then you were able to get up and down from there, that also should be counted as getting, you know, a scramble, whatever. Yeah. So there's certain statistics like that, but I think all in all, just having better analytics for like the commentators. So if you're walking up to a putt on hole 17, I can say something like, this is Hunter's 10th look at birdie inside of 35 feet today. Like that tells a story just by saying that versus me saying Hunter's about to putt this for birdie. He is 84% from circle one today. That doesn't really tell the story of how your round's going. Yeah. So, um, yeah. The right. only one, Can the you- only thing I thought of with UDISC, this isn't really super analytical, but on UDISC, when you're scoring your individual round, like they have where you can like tap on the map where your shot ended up, and like mm-hmm. that's how to like score you. It would be cool if like the top two or three cards up front, I think they could do it right now, but eventually like every card had that. So like when you're like on, sometimes you're in a situation where I can't watch the live broadcast. So yes. like for like a Duke basketball game, I'll watch on ESPN that little like and you can court. see where they take the shots and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and yep. I can like see the pass and then the shot go up, and it's just like a little diagram. When I like maybe it's on a network, I don't care. They don't care or whatever. But like that'd be kind of cool to be able to pull it up and like okay, I see like right now the line says Brody Smith off the fairway after two. Yeah, that off the fairway me. means a lot. Yeah, off the fairway can mean a lot of different things. But in like, disc if golf. I can, yeah, if I can look at my phone and be like, "Oh, he's off the fairway, but he's only a hundred feet off the tee. He's screwed." Or, yep. "Oh, he's off the fairway, but he's he's like he's easily getting up and down to save his par here. Like he's twenty feet away from the basket. Like to be able to have like a little like, cool. shot map. I think that'd be kind of cool. That would actually be really cool. All right, can you putt? I saw Yuli jumped into coaching slash training thing like Scott. Do you think there's a market for that? I don't know. I don't, I don't not, I don't know, I guess with all free video on YouTube now. Even, okay. Um, <laughs> his, I think his point was saying like, we're starting to see more people come out and I've even kind of tinkered with this a little bit. Mine's a little bit different because mine's through Instagram, which I wanted just to kind of see how that subscription model worked on Instagram. And it's like a fair price. It's $5 a month and I'm able to post stuff. It's kind of essentially the reason I wanted to see is I wanted to see like, is this better for like us foundation to do than Patreon, right? Is it better to maybe go subscription mode via Instagram than Patreon? Because the way I can upload stories I can have like conversations with people on the subscription. I can do all that. 
it seems a little bit of an easier platform than Patreon does. But again, like it's an interesting one when it comes to coaching and teaching from a distance and especially kind of like this, where it's more, it's not so much one-on-one. It's more of like, I'm going to give information out to a bunch of people and you, a bunch of people are going to pay me for this one video. Now, the question is, is there a market for it? Well, that's, that's for you guys to decide, right? Like that's not for me to decide. Like, I don't think there, I don't think people should be spending money on a lot of things, but they do. If people spend money to get coaching from Yuli or Scott or whatever, that's on them. That's their decision. Now, there is obviously a lot of free information on YouTube for coaching and stuff. It's hard, I would say, to decipher what what is good information and what is bad information. I still think the best thing you can do when it comes to disc golf is one-on-one coaching. Like I don't think anything trumps literally live having someone there and be able to coach you one-on-one. But if you can't get that, this is probably not a terrible option either. But again, like I said, I'm sure there are going to be some people that say it's not worth it. I'm not buying that. There's going to be some people that say, I can't wait for it. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. And, that, and that's, that's why I said, like, I'm, I'm trying to get feedback too, just to kind of see like what information people view as valuable. Because you can obviously tons, tons of videos of like how to throw a backhand exist, but maybe there's small little pieces here and there that you can give out some tips on how to practice and all those things that are actually way more valuable than just like the proper mechanics of a backhand. Yeah. Well, I think this is true in every industry, right? Like there's not a topic in the world we live in now that you can't, if you wanted to become an expert on for free. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's very few things that you actually have to pay to get enough information to be an expert on something. Um, heck, I believe even like Harvard Business School, one of the like Ivy League business schools just puts all of their classes online for free. Like you could go through all of the stuff to be even like, like MBA level classes wow. for free, right? But there are still people making millions off of business classes. Now, why is that? Because you're, I think what it is, is like the, you're paying for validated information. So with Yuli, with Scott Stokely, you know they've been through it. You know they've done it. Some of what they're offering is one-on-one coaching, which what you're ta- which what you had said like that. I think the value to everyone's obvious. Like if you're going to have mm-hmm. Yuli stand there, watch you throw, and tell you this, this, and this is what you need to change, that uh, that information is obviously valuable. But the like online Scott Stokely masterclass, where's the value in that? Yeah, you can probably even find Scott Stokely teaching this stuff for free. But you're going to have to go down a rabbit hole and find probably 15 to 20 different videos of him teaching all this stuff in different places. Mm-hmm. Or I can pay 20 bucks or whatever it is and, and have a concise... Convenience factor. Yeah, yeah, all from one person, a person I trust, a person that I know is going to know what they're talking about and have it all there for me to access repeatedly. I think that's the draw, right? Because, yeah, I could go listen to Overthrow Disc Golf, tell me how to throw a backhand. Then I can watch the tutorial I put out on how to throw a backhand. Then I can watch Will Schustrick teach me how to throw a backhand. Then I can watch Dan Vito teach me how to throw a back. I can go out and I can watch 30 people teach me how to throw a backhand. The problem with all that information is where each one of them individually is probably going to teach you how to throw a backhand at a decent level. If you get that information from 30 different people, they're all going to tell you something slightly different. Mm-hmm. And if I'm trying to do Will Schustrick's form with Josh White from Overthrow's timing 
with Dan Beto's release point, my backhand's going to suck. Mm-hmm. No way around it. Versus if I just watch Will Shustrick do everything Shustrick says, my backhand's going to be decent. Same with all these other people I just listed, right? I think that's another of like attractiveness to these things is like you're getting it all from one person. So the information is going to be cohesive. You don't have to worry about like, okay, well, Ricky tells me when I throw the forehand, I want to keep my palm to the sky, but so-and-so tells me when I throw forehand, I want to roll my wrist. What's accurate? Both. Because it, it, it depends player to player, right? But if you get this too much information like we have in the world right now, if you, you can drown yourself and then end up being an expert of nothing because everyone's telling you something different versus just pain and having it in one spot. That's the draw to it. That's where I think it, it is a uh, it will be a successful business model for a lot of people, but there's also a lot of people like me where I'm just going to go out and learn as much as I can about stuff for free because I'm not paying Grant Cardone to 10x my income. That doesn't make any sense to me. Like when yeah, I can just go watch first off I think the dude's an idiot. Second off, I can just go watch a bunch of stuff online for free and learn from experts that have done it and just walk you through step by step like what people did to get there and like that's what i would rather do but that doesn't mean that someone else doesn't get the value from paying for that 10x course or whatever it's called yeah oh is that all of your twitter ones or you have another one oh i have one more okay because i have one more but it's not disc golf related so i figure we would just kind of end the show with, with with this question yeah so uh we got brother bubs what does florida south florida specifically have to do to be more present on the pro tour should the season start earlier in the year to take advantage (laughs) of the weather um yeah i mean i would love i would love to have the season start in florida and kind of take advantage like you said take advantage of the weather there you know during some of the colder months like i mean texas got cold last year at waco so that would be awesome to have the first couple weeks in Florida. Uh, I, I think, I, again, this is like a disc golf pro tour, Jeff Spring question of like, what do they look at to decide whether or not they want to have a pro tour event there? I don't know exactly the answer. I know that there's obviously infrastructure and stuff, but tournament to tournament, there is starting to be a little bit more of a trend of these tournaments looking similar. Like you're not going to go to one tournament and then go to the next and be like, wow, these are way different from one another. So there are some things of like parking, um, good Wi-Fi, so they have you know can stream. Obviously, the course matters to where it's set up in a way that is going to challenge the players. All those things kind of matter. I don't know South Florida course is good enough to know if they they have it available there. I know Jacksonville. There's enough there at Jacksonville to, to 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 continue to improve at New World to to have an event there, but yeah, I don't know about South Florida. So all yeah, right, I finish it up. I've oh, heard go. rumors go. of I've heard rumors of the tour eventually like starting in Florida, then going out west, then coming up, then coming back down, and then finishing South Carolina. It's like flow wise, that makes sense. I think the tough part right now is like the pro tours always started. The professional tour of disc golf's always started out west. Like when you start out west, then logistically it's it's hard to imagine. Like right now they do it somewhat with Champions Cup, but like if you go out west through Texas, coming over to Champions Cup, down to Florida, it's like where do you go? Like if you don't start in Florida, it's hard to get to Florida and then have a good like output. 
which that's nothing to do well, with. Well, you'd have to, you would have to like but. you you have to like U turn it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like Florida makes the most sense as a starting or ending point. In like, my I opinion. don't, I don't, I also don't care. Like, I don't think it's that it makes. I don't think it makes that much of a difference if we have some events in Georgia and the Carolinas at one point in the season, and we have events in Georgia and the Carolinas at another point in the season. Like, I don't think that matters too much. No, it's just right now the majority of the of the tour drives, so you got to just find the logistics. Yeah, but we can loop. Thing. But you can loop back to is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's what I'm saying is like going Florida, Alabama, and then to Texas versus going, you know, Nevada, Arizona, Texas. They even go to Arizona. No, Arizona's the all star. Nevada, yeah. Texas. Like, uh-huh. I don't know. I, I I think it's just like a scheduling thing more than anything. I don't think there's much that this the local scene can do to improve their chances. I think it's just a scheduling thing. Personally, all right. You want to do the this last one here? Yeah, let's finish it up. All right, last one from Hookset TV. If you could only have food and drinks one way for the rest of your life, would it be hot or cold? So every time you eat and drink, it's got to be one temperature. Eat Eat and drink. Rest of your life. So I I don't really ever drink. I don't drink anything hot. Mm. I don't drink anything hot. But I think I'd be much more willing to sacrifice that because I drink. No, because now I'm thinking like all my fruit is hot. Every, I mean, my thing is like, I don't like that much cold food. I'm not willing to sacrifice hot food. Well, the cold food that's really, really important or sorry, the, the food that's really, really important are is all the protein, right? So like all the meats, that stuff is hot. That stuff's got to be hot. Lunch, you have to begin then lunch meat. Well, lunch meat's not good for you. That, that, that's, I mean, what other cold meat is there? No, no, the no right I'm saying like, meat. no, this is how I view it. I view it as you can cook the steak, let but then you have cold. to let this, the steak has to be cold before you can eat it. Yeah, but like that's then, how I view it. That's kind of gross. No, it's not, it's not great. I mean, you can I'd throw it in a salad. A you can throw it in a salad. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going cold. Or I'm hot, oh, hot, hot, okay, hot, okay, hot. Okay. I'm going to call hot, 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 hot. I think the only problem with the hot is like middle of the summer. You're playing around a disc golf. You're sweating. You got to have a hot drink. No, that, that's that is definitely the problem. The I'm problem is like that's that's the only problem to me because like I can have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee with any meal. That's not going to bother me. But like I'm going to be de- I'm going to be so dehydrated. That is I'm a never thing. Going to want to drink hot water. That is a thing. When I went to China in eighth grade, that's a big part of their culture. Is it's like an ancient Tea. belief where the reason they drink hot drinks so much, that's such a big part of their culture, is they believe, and I don't know if it's true or not, we did it while we were over there and it didn't hurt. When if you're if it's hot outside and you drink something hot, it'll like raise your internal body temperature and therefore make it feel cooler outside. No, I don't buy that at all. So like it was a common thing, like in the morning for breakfast we had hot tang, like that orange juice powder, and like a like basically like a drip coffee maker. Put that yeah. thing under there. Hot tank. You had hot tea in the middle of the day. Hot drinks are a very big thing. So like that's if, where I'm like, if it's I could do it. If it's freezing cold outside, the last thing I want to do is like make myself more cold inside my house. So that way when I go outside, it doesn't feel as cold. What? No. But like it might work. I have to see the science. I don't know. I don't know. Sh- show me the science. I'm definitely going hot though. I know that for sure. 
because I can't, yeah, no matter hot's, what, hot's I can't supply. sacrifice the food. That's the big thing. Hot's, hot's the play. Hot's the play. All I right, eat well, a lot more hot food it. than cold food. That's debate night. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. We'll be back again next week, same time, same place for the last episode of this format. And then I don't know if immediately in January we'll start the new show or if we'll have like a week or two hiatus before we start it. But we're very excited yeah. for the new show. You know what I'm most excited about, and we'll go a little, we'll pull the curtain back a little bit. I, I, and yeah, you know, I might not get any sympathy from this because there would be some people that's like, that's not even that early. But I, I wake up at like four, five forty-five to record. So like, there's like the there's like morning. I, I would say I, I do pretty good for having morning fog a little bit. You're up maybe an hour or two, an hour and a half, two hours before we film. I get up two hours. I get up at five. Okay, so you're up at five. So you're two hours up before we film. I'm yeah. like 15 minutes before yeah. we film. Uh, I'm very looking forward to changing the format to where I'm coming in like ready to locked go, locked and loaded. Focused. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I, I try to do my best, but obviously I stumble on my words a decent amount. Uh, I'm I'm ready to do that to where, as you can see behind me, it's, it doesn't go from pitch black to light. Yeah, like it's gonna be it's. It's going to be a nice change. It'll be a nice change of pace. Yeah. I'm excited for it. And hopefully you at home are as well. But we'll talk to you again next week. Same time, same place.